All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to our first Learning Tech Talks of 2020. Yay. We are, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting the questions answered you need answered to build out your digital ecosystem. Today, I'm joined with Micah White from CGS, and we are talking about an interesting topic. We're talking about automation <laughs> for e-learning. But before we dive into it, it wouldn't be learning tech talks if we didn't kick it off with a fun, fun question, icebreaker teaser question. So oh. we, we, we did this before we go. So I don't know the answer yet. I, I got a glimpse of it, but I didn't get the full one. And that is what was the most fun thing you did over the holiday break? All right. So what we did was we got the Millennium Falcon Lego set. It was okay. the biggest set our house has gotten so far. And my son and I, my other son and my daughters, we we built the Falcon. So uh, we're huge Star Wars fans, and we just built it. And there was a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of love uh, with all the pieces and parts. And we're still it's not fully complete yet, but it's very close. All right, the holiday break's almost over. Is the goal to have it done by the time the break's over? I, I think so. It is, and they're heading back to school next. We've got to hurry. We might have to get Chewy involved to uh, fix a few things, but okay. uh, we're real close. Okay, so two two follow up questions, completely unrelated to automation. First of all, one is: Are you typically Lego fans or just Star Wars fans, and happen to get the the Lego version of it? We uh, the household is huge Star Wars fans, okay. uh, except for my wife. She likes it okay. The kids and I are, are massive, but uh, my my children love Lego uh, a lot. So every year they get the sets in and. Um, you know, great, great toys, uh, uh, you know, great for creativity and uh, like, like uh, probably almost all of us, uh, you know, great, great experience. So, okay. Okay. Got it. And then the other one is, is that one you can still just buy through the Lego store or did you have to special order, you know, eBay, something like that? Uh, we went to the local uh, uh, up in Canada, uh, Toys R Us is still, uh, there's oh, still, still Toys R Us. There. So there okay, is. Wow. Yeah. And we, we got it there. So. Okay. Okay. So you got it at a traditional toy store even. Not, that's not... it. That's it. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, so my son is, is eight. My oldest is eight and he's a huge Lego fan. So I spent a lot of time over the break too doing Legos. We, he's oh, into yeah. Lego Technic. So yeah. he built like a car transporter and this loader thing. It was, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, we're, we're Lego fans here too. All right. Well, th so that's enough on, on that topic. Um, let's jump into the discussion around you know, automation and e-learning. But before we get to that, you know, what is, tell me a little bit more, and, and I know a little bit about this, but even I don't think I've I've dug into this with you. What sure. is your background a little bit and what brought you to kind of the tech side of, of learning? Oh, interesting. Okay. So uh, I'm the director of R&D for the enterprise learning division at, at CGS. And, and I, I worked, um, you know, uh, I've been a system analyst and uh, programmer, uh, for close to 25 years uh, working professionally. And um, I had worked in an e-learning company uh, right around the millennium. Uh, so I was working in a telecom uh, company and working with long distance provisioning and, and I worked for the statistics agency and worked on the business register and all these different programming jobs. And when I went into the, the learning, uh, suddenly there, was, there were graphic artists walking around and 
there were okay. creative folks and it just uh, it was just very interesting I, and, and i went into children's animation for a couple of years and 3d graphics and i sort of went into a creative uh graphics programmer role that brought me back into enterprise learning because obviously we're we're trying to increase engagement and uh, and the solutions are getting more and more complex and uh and there's a tremendous creative space within learning uh, which i think is one of the greatest parts okay Okay, so you didn't you didn't come out thinking, you know, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be in learning and the niche of learning technology, but that's the journey you've you've been on. No, like many many folks, you got the musicians and you've got the you know the the creative, you know, and then you you kind of find the space, right? So, yeah. uh, um I think it was one of those one of those for okay. sure. Okay. Well, see, I was I was going I was actually a math and computer teacher. Um, and then, so I actually was a teacher from the beginning, but, um, oh, one of the things that's, that you mentioned that is interesting, and again, still not on the topic of automation, but you talked about it, that is fascinating about the L and D industry is the diversity of it, right? Mm -hmm. You talked about the, the creative side, you know, you can be in project management, you can be in a programmer. It doesn't really matter. There's, yeah. especially as we move into this digital age, it just yeah. continues to be a more and more diverse field. So, um, okay, so let's talk about this because I've gotten a lot of, of buzz around what do you mean when you're saying automation and automation for e-learning where, you know, people are hearing some of these terms. I don't think they're hearing it in our industry as much. So right. talk a little bit about what, what do you mean when you say automation? Right. So uh, when we talk about RPA or robotic process automation or just automation in general, it's taking what uh, uh, what typically like a human being would do with the computer. Um, it could be a repetitive task. It could be a task that has, uh, you know, many repetitive parts. So if you're in audio production and the audio files have to be cut as wave files and they need to be compressed and then they need to be put in a folder up on a on a OneDrive or a Dropbox or something and they have to be moved around and it's all repetitive and and these um, these things need a certain level of skill okay. uh, uh, it might be low so you don't have to really think too hard but it's mechanical and an automation is really uh, coming up with software services to assist and and to help with your production uh, okay. to help you know, speed things up, be able to do more uh, than than what uh, you know a certain number of individuals could do, and to amplify what the the learning production uh, is able to to do on their own. Okay. Uh, so it's really interesting, you know. Well, and you know, it's it's funny because I think sometimes when you think about this, we think of developing, and the topic of this is using automation for e-learning development mm -hmm. today. That's specifically the topic. I think sometimes when you initially think about it, you think of e-learning, you think, well, no, it's it's creative, it's instructional design. Yeah. Not, oh, yeah. But there's so much. I mean, I remember back to my e-learning developer days, mm -hmm. so much of it is just te tedious, right? You're just right. following steps. Like, I'm moving this from here. I'm, I'm putting this data in this spot. Like, I'm just doing it over and over and over again. Um, yeah. So I think that's where, you know, when you think about it as a process, there's no shortage of process that can be automated in e-learning development right but th think about some of the fascinating things like like there's a code word in the industry that's a cookie cutter and that's yeah. a that's a bad that's a bad word so if, they, if you're if you're gunning to be super engaging and creative that's the term you don't you don't want to hear it yeah. means that it's done by rote uh that it's you know lifted and shifted over 
uh, what have you. But but one of the things is if your production can use technologies to uh, speed up and, and to be able to take some of the lift and then also amplify so that you can actually deliver more uh, uh, complex, more, more engaging um, uh, simulations and experiences, then it becomes a very creative thing. And that's, that's one thing where, where the CGS group has really worked to make RPA work um, to, to be able to achieve more with the tools that we have and, and be able to get those greater experiences. Okay. Yeah. And I think that it's one of the natural resistances to it is this idea that, well, if we have automation doing this, it's, it's going to be, you know, blah, blah. You're just copy control yes. C control V from, yep. from this to that, which it can, right. I mean, it, it could do that, but it, can do more than that, correct? Absolutely, uh, you know, for sure. Uh, you, you have to consider what it is you're trying to accomplish and, and then you always have to watch or be on guard um, if, if you're working on something, if you, if you automate, you know, if it's screen creation or test creation or interactivity, and then it's like, how do we drive interactivity in new ways? Uh, how do we continually improve things? And, and, uh, it, it just, it, it is something, it's sort of a, it, it's a, it's a fear that we, that we hear kind of often amongst our own creative work unit. Okay. It's like, we wouldn't want to turn ourselves into let the robots do all the work. And, yeah. and then, you know, and then, you know, then we're obsolete or, 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 uh, or, uh, you know, we, we get dull and all these things. So, so there is, I mean, it's something to really, you know, it's something to really consider. Okay. Yeah, I don't, but, but the point <laughs> is that some of these tedious tasks we're automating, they're not what's keeping you sharp as a creative. They're not that's exactly it. you, you know, bring to life something that's truly dynamic. Yes. We did talk about this though before we came live and I think it's an important use case and maybe we can have a little discussion on this before we get into the more creative side. I know I've been tasked with it in the past. I know a lot of organizations are struggling with it. Um, now we could have a good debate on whether this is a real problem to solve, but you know, a real realistic use case for this is with flash kind of yes. phasing out, yes. there are no shortage of people scrambling saying we have loads and loads of stuff in legacy flash format yes. that we need to move to HTML five. Yes. Um, that, that you mentioned is one use case. Talk a little bit about you know, how this would work. Paint the picture visually, if you will, of how this would apply to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, for many years, uh, uh, Flash, you know, Macromedia and then Adobe Flash, and it sort of revolutionized the courseware uh, business. And this is over a decade ago. You know, when we saw uh, when the iPhone came out in 2007, uh, and we were kind of like, okay. And then when the iPad came out, we were like, it's, it's gonna, it's probably gonna go, <laughs> it's, probably gonna uh, go. it's gonna go. And so, so the idea there was, you know, uh, lots of really, so it was a golden age for, uh, graphic, uh, developers in the UK, especially the stuff that used to come out of the UK and the, the, the uh, and out of Ireland, the, the, the interactivity model, you know, being able to do custom things to, to, to teach more effectively in a self-paced digital format. And, and this stuff, uh, you know, it has legs, uh, some of it's still being used, um, we've got courseware that's over a decade old and still, still being highly utilized. In fact, people ask when, you know, that it can be kept and maintained and, and what have you. So the idea is that the, that the thinking was good. The learning strategy was good. It was well executed. 
uh, it was really interactive. And the feedback and the metrics that people have is that it, it taught and it's effective. So what happens when it's no longer available? Uh, yeah. The browsers have been locking, sort of ratcheting up the restrictions. And then ultimately now it's over. Um, I think I think the argument's done that, you know, I'd say in every mobile app uh, shop in the in the world, there's a, a Flash or a Flex developer formerly. Right. And they've migrated into the new. So I'm, I'm one yeah. and we migrated yep. into new skill sets. OK, so you've got this interactivity locked up and, uh, and you want it back. But how do you get it? Um, so there are a variety of processes that you can work on the Flash content. Now, you know, you might have access to the to the source um, projects, yeah, but in a lot, of, a lot of cases you don't. So you have these binary uh, little uh, SWF or Swift files. Uh, there's a series of them oftentimes, and then the, and the browsers will play them, you know, uh, one yep. by one, they get called up. Uh, and the animation and the sound and the video and everything is like locked inside of them. Yeah. It's proprietary. So there are, there's de decompilation uh, tools out there that are off the shelf. Uh, you know, you can buy them, you know, for not a lot of dollars. And what they do is they run through this uh, Adobe's binary format and it, it'll rip out. Decrypt the, basically decrypting it, right? Decrypt Pulling it, it yeah. Pull the yep. assets out. So the text and the pictures and the audio and everything. And then from there, uh, an L&D developer can take that stuff and maybe they maybe they eyeball the old animation and then they go into a newer generation of tool that supports modern web standards, uh, you know, and then they reauthor the experience. Uh, sometimes they take a video of it. If they go, oh, that's pretty complicated yeah. and it's passive, you know, if, if, say if the user's not interacting with it, we can just take a video of it and then they show it as video. There's a whole bunch of decisions that can be, be made, you know, cost effectiveness and what needs to be redeveloped. But it becomes a really big challenge and it, it becomes an even bigger challenge when you're at scale. So yeah. if you've got a large for uh, one course is one thing when you've got sure. libraries of courses, it's another. And you say to yourself, do I do I fish or cut bait? Do I say this is no longer uh, valid? So maybe some of it goes just goes away. So there's a pruning process uh, around it. But what we found is we've got people that have, you know, uh, uh, connections and the learning population and the metrics all have a connection to some of this stuff. It needs to be redeveloped. But what do you do when you have a large, uh, uh, like a large collection of things and it, the scale of it? So one big thing about RPAs helps L&D uh, deal with scale. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But if your problem is complex, it's like, do you... Do you recruit helpers to come in? Uh, do you tie up your team redeveloping? Do you work with uh, vendors, uh, you know, a group of vendors? And then what about the quality and, you know, and everything, the, yep. the, the formatting? So just it, it actually becomes a really complex problem. Well, and, and one of the things you hit on there that I on this topic, I've seen it, I've seen it come up multiple times because you, you talked about the fact, you know, you start pruning, you look back at some of this stuff and you go, what? Why do we even still have this? Mm -hmm. And I've seen people go on polar opposites ends of the spectrum. You've got some folks that are like, everything needs to be saved and, and we need to redo everything. That's that's one extreme. And I've seen the other side where some folks say, hey, it's old, throw it out. Just, mm -hmm. you know, just go ahead and and thank it for, for its time and, and get rid of it. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a somewhere in the middle because the reality is 
there are sometimes things that you say, hey, we we can't just throw this out or we can't just throw this out now. Maybe we can start to move towards phasing mm -hmm. it out. But the reality is it's meeting a, a need somewhere. It's accomplishing something. And we can't just pull the cord and say we're done with it. But it's about putting that critical thought into this process versus just saying, we've got an LMS full of thousands of courses. Let's throw automation at it and just migrate them all. That's right. not a good that's not a good use of the tool. Right, right. I, I mean, it, it, well, exactly. I, I, th there should be a diagnostic done, you know, especially like I guess the technology is is sort of, you know, cueing us to have a look at things. Right. Yep. But that in, in a healthy organization, you would always be evaluating, you know, metrics wise, what what needs to be updated, uh, what's meeting the goal, what isn't. But sometimes, you know, if, if you're if you're faced with a. Uh, you know, with a with an extinction date for uh, yeah. uh, flash technology, then you have a look at it and and you find out and and uh, you know using RPA to be able to do some of that process, the decompilation, be able to pull the assets out, be able to put them in a new staging, into a new environment, be able to bring the some of the animation over, um, you know that can be really useful. Um, it does it in a consistent way. Uh, it's usually very budget conscious. Okay. So people are worried about budget. You know, what do we have to do? Is this a custom content effort to get all this stuff converted? And if you can, if you can set like a software service to assist with a large part of it, there's still, there's still a human element, you know, uh, with a lot of RPA type, uh, engagements where there's a sort of a, a, a practice bureau behind it. That's like making sure that things are just right and, and what have you, but, but it can dramatically decrease your cost. So it's bringing the scale of the problem down to something that's manageable. You can get your hands around it. You okay. can say this, I want to do this decision, you know, out of these hundred assets, we want to save uh, in flash. We want to save 30 of them or 50 of them. Uh, and we want to do it in a very cost effective way. And we want to do it quickly. And we want to have high quality, right? So it's kind of, you're getting all the, uh, you know, the, the pyramid or whatever, but uh, you want to have all these things. That's what the customers want. Okay. So let's talk about this human in the loop piece of it, because that's one of the natural resistances to automation in general is this fear that, hey, if we just hand this over to the robots, right, what what role do I play? So as a as a developer or as a learning professional, if you're talking about automation coming into and augmenting what you're doing, what what does that role look like? How does that change from, you know, what you've been doing? Sure. So, uh Maybe I'll just talk a little bit about the RPA process and then yeah. where the, where the, so, so basically um, RPA in a nutshell, what it does is uh, um, it takes what a human being would be doing and it learns that behavior. So you actually train the software. The RPA software is a collection of, it's like a, it's like a, a buffet or like the greatest like meal you've ever had. It's got all the best tools I don't of think of old country buffet or buffets as, as the best, but I get what you're going for. <laughs> okay. It's All the right. smorgasbord of stuff. It's the smorgasbord. Exactly. So you've got intelligent character recognition technology. You've got optical character recognition. You've got screen scraping. Okay. You've, you've got the ability to, you know, parse and, and, and run other programs. So, so if you're running a decompiler for the flash example, you can run that on a, on a batch. I think that, Everybody that even does a little tiny bit of programming, you know, you got somebody in your office who's a whiz with the Excel spreadsheets yeah. and automation comes in there. And that's where, that's the entry point for a lot of people. They okay. figure out, 
uh, oh, I can turn this Excel data and I can turn it into a Word document or I can write it out to a text file. And then if you're just, if you need like a junior programmer, you know, you write out a text file and then you, you write from I equals zero to a hundred and you write out a hundred text files and then you start to see the power of it. You're like, okay. this, I'm leveraging the system. Anyway, so, so back to it, the human beings are absolutely there to kind of, uh, uh, to check and with machine, uh, computer vision, uh, and, and machine learning, the, the ability to check, you know, formatting and, and uh, you know, where things are positioned and everything, if everything looks right. Human beings still do that in general. Although uh, with computer vision, we're starting like Adobe Sensei is, is one there that they're making great strides, but okay. they're actually offering services now where you, you don't need as much. But but uh, being able to, to just make sure that the intent going from from one, if you're porting from one format to another, or if you're building um, and, and then just, you know, being able to do the final check. And then there's quality assurance, which there's no better quality assurance than a, than a great, uh, you know, a human being who's got a, got a checklist and, uh, has the experience to know, uh, you know, what, what needs to be done. And, um, uh, the human beings in the RPA process are, are building the, the technology as well, like how to, understand parsing one format to another, how to program the RPA to actually do its job and then monitoring it to make sure that the job is, uh, the jobs are, are completing okay. successfully. So what's interesting about that is years ago, I'd heard there was, there was, it was almost a little bit of a running joke in the tech circles that, you know, people were eventually going to be managers of machines. Right? Mm -hmm. that was, and in what you just described there, to some degree, that's what your role becomes. You almost become a manager of, all right, I'm taking my critical thinking or I know what I want it to do and I'm empowering the machines to be able to do that and I'm checking and coaching and guiding guiding them along the way to make sure it's, it's doing it the way I need it to and it allows me to do it at a much greater scale than if I personally am the only one sitting down doing all these tactical activities. It, it forces the human side of the equation to really be thinking of the higher order magnitude of tasks. Okay. You can train the robots to, you know how a Microsoft Word document always has that little yellow ribbon across yeah. the top that says uh, <laughs> click here to edit. Well, you can train the software. So every time it opens up a Word document and starts translating, you can teach it these simple things and you just don't have to do them anymore yourself. You're not, you're not, you're not copying, pasting anymore. Um, you know, there's a lot of room for human error too, if you're, if you're doing redundant tasks and, and we look at, you know, our team and, and we know a lot of, we've got a lot of friends in the industry and nobody wants to be filling their day with, um, with a, a <laughs> low <checking>. skill. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what, like I call it low skill, but I, what, you know, I just mean like the rudimentary. Yeah. And then if, if you can be involved in a whiteboarding session where you're like, we're going to increase the ROI and we're going to, we're going to get, you know, this workforce, uh, you know, more efficient, faster. And we're, you know, we're going to make a really big difference. Those are the types of things. So the, so the, um, the design of the overall experience, um, the elements that are going to be used, uh, the excitement factor, the engagement factor, the, the how information is retained and the instructional design, like the design team comes in and figures out, you know, and then it, it's really an amplification so that, um, uh, you know, those types of activities are at the forefront. Um, and then you can get some of the production 
uh, work or labor or whatever you want to call it, um, some of the lower magnitude items can be handled by the software much more effectively. But it still opens you up so that you can really focus on the high value activities. And that's what uh, that's what we do internally. And then we're, we're in our practice, when we bring people in, um, those are the types of things that we're helping set up as well. Okay. Okay. So how do you though, right? And in, in, in theory, I agree. That's ideally, that's where we all want to be. I, I, I don't know very many people that I've interacted with or any that come to mind that have said, you know what I'd really love to do is just menial, tedious, robotic tasks. Like that is what just gets me out of bed in the morning. So I think that's right. where a lot of folks want to go with this. How do you, or, you know, when you've worked with clients on this, how do you help mitigate that risk though of, okay, because the reality is the e-learning industry has gotten a bit of a bad rap for, mm -hmm. you know, well, we create stuff, but what value is it really adding? You know, what is it really, how do you kind of mitigate that risk so that now you're not just creating massive amounts of non-value add stuff? Is that something that you kind of help people think yeah. through as they go through with it? Yeah. So, so, uh, so in this use case, so imagine that you wanted to, to use robot process automation to help with your construction okay. uh, of learning and, and at a, at a basic level, um, this problem has been solved by software for quite some time. Uh, you could come into a, a Dreamweaver and, and, uh, sort of access a template, uh, and bring in a sort of a templated formatted thing. Yep. Um, but in this case, what we want to do is we want to do a couple things. We want to we want to be able, and a lot of times we want to take away some of the tech, or, or if it's wanted, be able to work and design in the in the documents and the formats that people are most comfortable with. Okay. So if it's like Microsoft Word documents, and then we enable templating so that people can write and they can express themselves in in the Word document. Um, then the software comes and transposes all of that information and content and turns it into the media, and that part's handled by the by the software agent um, what we do is we we propose an imagineering practice though of what are we trying to accomplish with this with this new style of curriculum development and then what are the what are the most important things so if it's like ease of access if it's timely fresh updates and then what what does that all look like and then we kind of we kind of put that together and then some of the elements so you might have really impactful um after effects movies uh, that have sort of a tv broadcast feel to them so they've got text titles and they've got intros and outros and and then we would set the rpa uh service up to you could you could go in if you wanted to create a new version of your of your fancy hollywood uh commercial um, you know, be able to write in uh, the title and the bumpers and the text, and then the RPA could go take that and would actually assemble the movie for you so that you don't have to, you don't have to tie up a developer uh, by hand. So you get a better consistency. Uh, you know, you get a template style or a guideline that's created in advance. Everything is very consistent. Um, and, and you can, you, you can, you can actually freshen that content very quickly and you don't have to have a long chain of, of, uh, labor and production, but being able to overcome, uh, the limitations. So when you're working in the popular contemporary software for, for creating learning material, um, I think that everybody that works in those tools sort of has visions uh, yeah. that they'd like to break outside the box. Uh, they'd like to do something that's never been done before. They'd like to, and it's to show, uh, you know, that ROI, show, show, show the change, show the improvement. 
and and those tools uh you know they've lowered the barrier of entry yeah. uh you don't need to be a comp sci uh undergrad with five years of, of uh open gl programming to to work with them you, you fill them out there's triggers there's like sort of user you know user friendly and it can get complicated um but as you try to attack like uh, higher magnitudes of engagement you start to run into barriers so articulate storyline it's one of our favorite tool sets we've been a huge supporter of it for many years okay. uh we found that uh you know when you when you're doing when you're doing simple or medium things storyline is phenomenal uh at, at doing that it's very yeah. well set up and supported if you want to do something that's really notable or novel so we work with a lot of partners say look can you do something that you know hasn't been seen before uh something that's a lot more complex uh, something that's you know novel and we go and we look at it and we go and build and it can become very difficult uh, sometimes because you've got a you've got a tool that's set up to do the the simple and the medium things really well and it's sort of it's a bit of a limit and then and then some of our senior yeah. creative folks will say you know sometimes yeah. i wish we were back in the old school where we just kind of had our custom frameworks and we could do whatever we wanted to do because this this tool it, it, in a way it's so amazing but it's also it might be limiting, limiting us at the higher band. So, um, you know, I've actually got a, a really cool example here I could show yeah, you. Yeah, no, pull it up. You? Yeah, pull it up. Let's let's do that because I think it'll also help people start to visualize what we're talking about. Yeah, here. let me share my screen here. All right, let me pull it into the feed. Can you see that, Christopher? Yep, I can. Yeah. Okay. So this was in the telecom uh, space, and and essentially this was a um, a customer service rep uh, uh, dialogue, and it was like a case study. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to match the best telecom services to the customer, and this is actually a very complicated. Can be a very complicated process. There are there are uh, there's call scripts and there's methodologies to engage. Uh, and those are instructed. But essentially, there's a lot of decisioning that needs to happen in order for the call to come out with an amazing NPS score. So what we've got here is a game simulation where you're basically fact-finding and learning about a customer dilemma. And in the middle of the screen, you've got this wheel. It's actually a radial menu that allows you to, to, uh, to do and say up to eight or nine different things at any point in the interaction. Now, I don't have audio for this. No, that's fine. I think we can talk through the flow and, and how for sure. And you've got it. So the circle is decreasing uh, as you go through it. Um, so you're on a you're on a time limit, and okay. you're you're supposed to click on uh, different areas of this interaction to basically to harvest information: uh, the customer's name, uh, what their problems are, and then what happens. I'll just fast forward it here as you get through. You've got all these different actions that you can take. Now, this is a state machine done in Storyline. It's not just a click the next button to get to the next scene or click yeah. something, get say, it true false. If people looking at it, if you haven't been an e-learning developer, and you might look yeah. at it and go, yeah, okay, yeah, that's nice. I, I, <laughs> What's under the hood on that, that is not just a click and read, hit next, and move no. forward. No, no not, not at all. Because you're 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 assessed as you go, and, yeah. and it's withholding uh, ultimately the metrics and your performance. And at the end of it, it sort of gives you a diagnostic. And if you can say or do many things at any time, and they're all valid, 
but some of them are more valid than others. Yeah. And, the, and the finite state machine uh, done in JavaScript has been attached to this Articulate Storyline project. So this is what we would call, we would call this um, an example of the high Yes. Uh, of the higher end, okay? So, uh, and as I go through, you can you can keep playing through it. But what we do is very, very complex to build and took a lot of time and effort and it was a custom project. But when we let people make updates to it, now I'm sharing them on screen. Yeah, they're able to- that, Can you make that window full window? Yeah, sure thing. There you go. I'll try to zoom it maybe. Uh, anyway, you, you can, um, you can actually see we, the writers that actually script these scenarios, yeah. they just give a mood indicator plus one, minus one, whatever they want. And all the logic kind of flows through the story blocks. Then we this use the design doc essentially. Yeah. And then we use the RPA to actually parse this entire document and set up all the variable states and conditions so that the, so that the simulation works. It's really done to. Uh, limit the barriers of the, pardon me, to remove the barriers of the technology. Uh, if the implementation, if it's not the cleanest, again, I don't want to sound like we're disparaging one, any one tool, but if you're, if you're reaching, like if it's, if it's really messy to get that high level of, uh, of choice and flexibility in a, in a given tool set. Uh, if you're then able to abstract all that and let people just write scenarios very easily in a Word document, turn on the RPA process to to build out the the final uh, uh, product, then you you've removed the, the barrier technology, you've reached that higher level, and you've gotten there in a way that's very consistent. So, so that's yeah. uh, definitely a strength that we see with with robot process automation. So in that last example, just so one that is clear for me and anybody who may be just tuning in now or just catching it that's like, what on earth are we talking about here is a developer or the design team, they're working in that word design doc and actually authoring out, you know, hey, this is the flow of the call. These are the different possible things. These are the different indicators of all this stuff. So all that critical higher order thinking is still happening on the human side. Yes. And then, then you're tossing it over to the automation that's then looking and basically decrypting, okay, what are the tactical steps in here? So if this, this many points, if that, this many, and it's breaking all of that down and then yes. translating that into the development tool so that you're not having to sit and custom program all of that in, correct? Yes, yes, that's that is a that's a great way to 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 say that. And in the case of um, um you know articulate storyline, there's a trigger mechanism that's yep. used, and you can attach custom scripts to it. But eventually, if you get into a higher higher order magnitude you know problem to solve, something where we've got this finite state machine and hundreds of inputs uh, that are that are possible, it becomes hard for even the most seasoned uh, storyline guru. So if you're doing, if you're doing a simple, like I said, if you're doing a simple yeah. or doing a medium, go for it. Those are great tools. You want to do something that's kind of outside the conventional, uh, 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 you know, conventional mode. Um, you know, you might need, you know, this sort of software assist actually enables the produ production to get there. And at the same time, it removes the, um, the technical barriers so that people can work in the most natural way that they that they want to work. They say, I don't want to know, you know, about all the layers and storyline. I don't want to know about, you know, how the screens were stitched together and how the variables all work in the back end. I just want to be able to say, 
if you do this, you know, the, the influence is this way, the satisfaction is plus this, the, or if it's negative and I want to be able to spell it out and kind of orchestrate it. So we let the, let the designers orchestrate how the, how the gizmo is going to, going to behave. And then they can see it and test it out right away. It happens very fast. They hit a button and the service goes in and processes it. And then they can play it through and see if it's just right. So you hit on something there that I think actually this, this whole topic should actually be very comforting for people in our industry who may be a little bit nervous about this whole digital transformation thing. Because I know people that have been on my teams in the past, people I've yeah. worked with, one of their biggest resistors to moving into the digital age is almost this, I, I don't know how to program. I don't know how mm -hmm. to do some of these things. And they may be a phenomenal designer. They may be a great instructional designer and understand you know, how to break some of this stuff down. They just have not been comfortable developing or actually getting in there. And the idea of moving up the learning curve, of yep. learning the intricacies of this, they just don't have the capacity or the desire. And what we're talking about now is this almost can be that little support guide that's like look you don't need to do that let the tool handle that piece and, yes. and focus on that it's a shame if 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 someone i mean i come from the side of being in software uh we, and we don't want our design or creative uh, people uh to feel beholden to you know uh, what technology decrees is possible or not possible we're, we're one team one like definitely one team trying to work uh towards uh, conquering goals and, and and figuring things out but that said i mean i can i can definitely understand that and uh, you know one thing that i would say is the the consumerization and monetization of, uh, of apps on smartphones has driven the customer expectation the customer being the learner so the customer being anybody that's going to take any type of training the commercialization um, or the quality level of digital experiences is rising higher higher and higher it's it's driven by there's a profit motive so it, it's, it's driven by either either we are the product <laughs> if it's like in a uh, you know maybe a, a social media or something or yeah. or we're we're playing apps for entertainment and there's microtransactions. but the experience has been uh brought to an extremely high level so so people that are you know are worried about it. the 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 people won't tolerate um uh crummy learning yeah. uh, they they don't want to flip Tons through down. right they just you know and and then there's there's some anecdotal i guess for uh, attention span and and uh you know but but <laughs> yeah but it's like are you gonna look going, at let's not go down that path that one just gets me fired up <laughs> so it's like if you if you are about creating engagement then then the software and the services help that process it's not nullifying that yeah. human desire to to do it much like the movie companies i mean we were talking about star wars earlier and think about george lucas in the 70s and they and they figured out production with the cameras and how to motorize them and the, the renaissance of uh science fiction that came from that movie um so and that technology keeps driving creativity we've got to you know and you don't necessarily need to be a software developer to get in on it it's yeah. it's it's something where um there's a lot of different angles to to go um, 
but again, being able to to be able to handle tasks if it's moving audio around, if it's if it's if it's taking screen content and translating it, putting a different language, if it's figuring out the closed captioning uh, systems for videos, yeah. if it's uh, able to to take all the audio out of all the video you have and and put it into text so that it can be searchable. So these sorts of things they start to get pretty interesting, and a lot of RPA practices. Um, uh, outside of learning, uh, we'll build compound objects. They'll figure out where are all the things that we can use the software to assist, and they build up these libraries. And so we're telling everybody in L&D, like, like, think about it. What yeah. are some repetitive tasks or things that you could, you know, and then what are your limiters? If you had a, if you had a, um, sort of imagine imagineering uh meeting where you're like, what's limiting us? Right. Why, why maybe do anything? What yeah. Would it be? And what's preventing us from doing that? For for some, it's like we would like to do more live video with our executive team. Or for others, it might be, you know, we haven't really embraced um, responsive web design as much in our learning practice. Uh, we might like to have people on there because phone usage is going up and up and up for learning and and because uh, everybody's on their phones all the time. And it's really like, what are the limiters to that? And then maybe, maybe RPA can help with some of that. Yeah. What what I what I keep kind of smiling, chuckling about a little bit is a comment Nick Shackleton Jones made, which it it's it, it makes me laugh, but at the same time, I think there's a, an interesting discussion we could have on this. Is you know, he talked about the fact that he likes the idea of of automation being able to scrub this stuff, right, and mm-hmm. and basically generate like a one page summary of. Hey, you've got all this stuff, you know, here's, here's what really at the end of the day, this is what, what counts. And, and he, he jokes about the irony, the fact that wouldn't it be funny if at the end of this, right, we put all this and we end up with a, with a job aid, um, <laughs> which sometimes that might be exactly what needs to happen versus the complexity we sometimes throw into things. But with that, you know, is that, and this is now we're just geeking out a little bit on the potential Mm-hmm. But is that where you could combine RPA with machine learning oh. and be able to start saying, hey, okay, we, we've got all this stuff. Let's structure it. Let's yeah. let the machines go through and scrub it and see what is all this stuff. And then let's use machine learning to learn from that in terms of, hey, what is the stuff that really truly is impactful to mm-hmm. the things that we need to do to help us be better at identifying in the sea, in the noise of all the content, what truly is the relevant stuff we need to take forward? Absolutely. So, so the the RPA software, and again, I'm being agnostic. There's a yeah. tool that we use quite quite often, but there's many in the market. But I mean, typically, um, the software is invocable, so it exists out on the cloud, or maybe it exists locally in a local instance like within your firewall on, you know, uh, in a, on a server within your organization. So it can be outside or inside, but it's there and it's waiting to, to run. You can set it on a schedule. You can run it every hour. You can send it a message. I'd like you to run now. We do some printing on demand for some of our partners where uh, the, the, web, the web training format uh, oddly enough, uh, uh, doesn't lend itself to certain types of printing in certain scenarios. So we actually use an RPA module when they go to print. It actually goes and dynamically grabs 
prints screens of all the content and formats a PDF and sends it back to the user in real time. This stuff just takes a few seconds to do, and they'll they'll never they'll never know what happened in the in the background. You know, so it's all these new uses of the technology. But yeah, imagine like um, uh, scoring systems and 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 LMSs or or some sort of uh, social credit scoring for for learning and 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 being able to figure out or what what was uh, what's got the greatest NPS score or what you know what's been bookmarked and highlighted so if you've got a highlight ability and you know what are people highlighting the most and then and then be able to pull that and be able to, to generate that and be able to pull rpa can monitor like like state so like imagine a website and you wanted to track the stock market over time so you go on to your favorite stock site and then the and then the rpa one thing that's cool just to geek out on the rpa itself <laughs> the reason why it's so this collection of technology is so interesting is it's it's smart it understands like the dom or the document model of any web page it understands the underlying architectures of desktop software it knows the handles of where the file button is and where the print button is so if you move it or change it or squish the screen or if you look at yeah. it in one one browser or not it's smart enough to know and it can you know it, it can run um and you can grab all you can scrape data and you can just continue to store data so so these kinds of tasks are like it's like that eureka moment when you wrote a text file 10 times with a little script program. Um, it's like multiplied by like a, a billion, right? It's like, wow. And, and, and it's the collection of the technology if you want to read documents and use OCR on them, or if you want to be able to use the right OCR engine uh, to fit a document that's old versus a newer one or all these different things. There's a lot of amazing uh, use cases you know, for yeah. the technology. Well, and and initially when we had this conversation and when we first started talking about it, the the application and what we started even this conversation with was right the creation of an e-learning. But really, my goal with this episode and where the conversation is going is to start opening up the possibilities of think about how robotic process automation can allow us to be more effective in L and D. And and one of the examples you hit on earlier. I can't tell you how many times there have been instances where I've said, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could scrape, you know, this data set and look for these types of patterns to give us insights into, you know, this type of stuff. But I can't hire a team of people. There's just too much data to sit and go through. But yes, yes. this allows you to do that. And, and I think you illustrated it earlier with it brings it down to a scale that becomes manageable where before it was this is just, too, it's too big. It's too far out there. We don't have the time, the resources to do it. RPA is That's actually right. making that a possibility. Think of, the, think of the human factors, right? There's sort of like an unspoken bias against the things that are maybe out of our reach. Okay. It's like, I, oh, I want to get there. I want to do I these things. Do it, I, just, I just can't get there. And I don't want to admit I can't get there because that's weak or, or whatever it is and it's it's, it's not but you know, what but, but when you think about it what are what are the limiters you know what are the limiters uh, uh, why did we not uh, uh, do a responsive web design you know we know the users are using a smartphone more often now it's 2020 um, you know and it's like well the limiter is you know we'd, we'd have to redo all the, you know so if you can use the technology if you can examine where some of the ceilings are and everybody's got them the hottest multimedia developer in the land uh you know everybody everybody's got the ceilings and, and you just have to look at it so um it's very interesting so when you 
yeah, we we could geek out on this for much longer than the show is is scheduled for. But when you because now the one risk or not risk, but I think the consideration is some people watching this or you start going into these possible, it can almost feel overwhelming. Like, holy smokes, I that's the thing we just talked about. It just feels so ethereal. It's oblique. It, yeah, it, it, I can't even. I don't know where to start. There's some when master you, control somewhere, and I, I don't understand whoa, where I'm not going to get there. I just, I'm so therefore I'm just going to avoid it, which I think in our industry has been a big limiter of us moving into the digital age because it's like, yeah. that is so far out there. I'm just not going to do any okay. of it. So when, when you have clients who may be interested or saying, Hey, RPA is something we, we want to explore. We're starting to think of some of the possibilities. How yeah. do you work with them? Or what do you, what do yeah. you recommend to people to be like, let's not boil the ocean. Let's yeah. not automate everything. Where, where is a natural intro point kind of that starting point for people to say let's start with this yeah okay so in our case we have a we have sort of a, a a business model being created we have a service bureau if we're talking with a partner and we say what what are you know what are a challenge that you have we have a discussion we find out what problems to solve and then we might actually create a small uh robot or a small rpa that just allows a proof point to be had um you know my documents don't print right or this system doesn't do you know or the manager uh, or some people don't send the thing report on time they they have some sort of problem in their in their environment so okay we're going to do like a, just a, like a sliver and we would, uh, we would you know we, we work together and we create it and we show it and we run it and then and then in my case like i work for computer generated solutions cgs like hosts the robots and the services but then one big thing is we're not we are really not into vendor lock-in practices so okay. we allow it like an offloading or an offboarding if people want to work directly with the rpa um, companies themselves and in fact we invite them to do that we're a part of uh, partner networks we have allegiances with the with the rpa uh, software providers and if if they go directly at some point you know to to work but what we do is we would create this sliver and this little piece of it and then we would show them and i'll actually i'll just turn my screen back on here yeah. for a sec cool and i'll uh i'll show you this is um i'm going to fast forward this quite uh quite a little bit here this is actually for anybody that's watching in. This is the RPA training process. Uh, you've got a desktop application. You've got a flowchart. Not sharing anything. Just FYI. Oh, I'm not sharing. You didn't, hit okay. the, you didn't hit the three button thing yet. Oh my goodness. Oh, you're right. Pardon me. <laughs> Sorry go. about that, Christopher. There we go. Here, okay. There we go. Okay. So this is it. This is actually the 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 software interface. And we would we would interview and we would say, what are you trying to do? And we would listen in and we might, you know, they might share a screen uh, with us. And then we would our experts who are certified, you know, advanced developers will go and create a little widget or a sequence that actually solves this problem. And then we open it up so that they can, you know, either on a schedule or if it's on demand or if it's once a day, um, and then the sequence. So so in the sequence, you can see you've got all these cryptic uh, boxes. These are all sort of the programming uh, steps. 
and anything that you're going to do if you're going to be working with files so here you see a little snippet of a word document confirmation buttons and this is the automation piece of it if you are opening up word documents and harvesting all their content and then you're putting it into articulate rise which is which is actually probably a pretty cool example this is the nuts and bolts of the rpa uh, we build this and then we also let people if they're on the journey to do it themselves, we've worked with partners that have a significant practice already where they internally they're creating their own objects okay. or sequences, right? But if you're just getting started, we would create one of these for you and then we would have a seminar where we would show you exactly what it's been built and how it's been built. Um, and then we will allow you to see the result. And then people usually make the analysis themselves um, uh, if they think it's valuable, you know? Okay. But um, it's it's definitely you know there there needs to be sort of a a, a hand in hand journey for yeah. uh, for those that maybe haven't gotten involved um, as well these companies that offer uh, RPA software for enterprise um, they have academies and they have learning portals and you can go and get certified yourself if there's someone in your in your organization or somebody wants to take this on and they, there's a big there's a big outreach of YouTube videos and, and just all sorts of training materials out there. You can kind of get a sense of what's going on and how it works just by, by having an interest. Okay. Uh, you know, and if, if some people here that were listening in today just, you know, maybe did a search on RPA and had a look at it and did some YouTube, I, you know, I'd be very pleased because okay. um, super powerful and, uh, and can create real change. So, so with that, uh, and, and we don't have to get into the specifics of it, but sometimes going back to this, cause I think, right. That's, that's, I'm with you that I think the potential of it is huge. I think it cannot be almost overwhelmingly huge. And I think that's helpful to think about where can you start? What, and this is another question that, that a lot of times comes up is, is starting, you know, a six figure, dive in? Does it have to be a massive financial investment or is it something that you can start small and say, all right, let's, you know, you talked about that sliver. Is that something that's more manageable? Cause not everyone has huge budgets or massive yeah. amounts of resources that they can say, yeah, let's, let's yeah. go do a project on this and just see what happens. So if, if you were looking, you know, either, you know, if it's, if it's yourself uh, who wants to get involved, you know, you can get the priceless from all the, and it's subscription based. So a lot of, a lot of the cloud services are now, you know, pay as you go and pay mm -hmm. by your utilization. So you can have a look at that. And if you were looking at a partner, what you'd want to say is I'd like to do a proof of concept. Um, you know, we might internally call it a sliver, but we want to do a something small. Okay. That way it keeps the footprint and overall down, uh, but you get the proof points that you're looking for. And you may have desires to grow it, but you don't have to be locked in as a large expenditure. Um, you know, if we can, you know, if you can, if you can provide something simple, but ask for like a, a proof of concept or you want to test the water or you want to do something small. I mean, I know our organization definitely engages on, on those. And I know there's many more that do too. So, so I would shop around and, and, and definitely uh, maybe use some of that language to get the conversation started. Um, you know, it, it really is like, um, there's a lot of different ways that organizations can go with it. I would assume that some would want this to be a turnkey that is done for them so that they can for, focus on their core competencies. And if they're trying to eliminate 
you know, some burdens and they want these competencies just removed. That way they can be, they can uh, operate at scale and go faster and accelerate. Um, others might see a practice within their, within their organization. Oh my goodness. Like just look at the, some of the HR and the finance sector and some of the things there and the, the stuff that's going on there is amazing. So there's a lot of places where like maybe things were done and it's not to disparage any of those sectors, but where things were done a certain way for a long time and now digital transformation is allowing again people to focus on higher order magnitude things but alleviate some of this um some of this low level or repetitive work uh yeah. and and be able to to allow it uh absolutely yeah it's uh, it's a, it's an exciting topic and you know some of the comments coming in i think are are validating what we thought when we first geeked out and said hey we should talk about this you know which is I hadn't thought about this, or this is this is a new concept, and and I think people understand, or they've heard RPA, but not necessarily really thought through the implications, or really understood. Okay, what is this? How would I apply that to to learning and development, or the work I do? And that really is, you know, the goal of this and the goal of our conversation is to say, hey, don't don't chase RPA because RPA is a thing. Don't chase right. it because hey, it's a cool right. it's a cool new trend. Or it's it's what all the cool kids are doing now. Although it is, it is kind of ironic to me that being a tech nerd now is like cool. I, mm. I think that's the greatest irony in in all things. Um, but right, don't chase it just because it's the thing. But no. I think we've highlighted some very critical problems that have limited our industry, that have limited people that have sat in my chair, in your chair, in an e-learning developer's chair, where they've said, I wish I could do more of this, or I wish I could go in this direction, but I can't because I'm limited by X, Y, Z. And that's where automation is, is unlocking some of these things to say, yeah. well, that's not a problem anymore because we can automate that and, and get you out of that mud pit so that you can climb on to the other things. Absolutely. And, and, and for, for anybody that might be inspired a little bit, and I didn't mention this, um, the RPA uh, uh, software manufacturers, usually some of them have a community edition or a light edition or, or what have you. And it allows people to kind of maybe see it and, and have a look. And, um, and again, just, just consider what you might be able to do with, with all the different, and we touched on some of the technology yeah. processes lightly, right? But I mean, you, you'd be able to see it. So, so it is something I, I would, I would, you know, from our perspective, like we're, we are a maker of, of many different types of learning experiences. And we knew that this, this technology was real and we knew that it was coming. Um, and we thought that, you know, we would, we would get heavily uh, involved in anything that allows us to pass on value or be able to increase our, our abilities. So it's not the only focus, you know, that that CGS has uh, for digital transformation, but it's definitely a key. Um, and and I think that you know the more we can get the word out to people in L and D, and it might be very interesting. Yeah. Well, and and one of the comments that came in. Uh, that I think is is a great summary, and this is a problem that I've seen in in the industry. Somebody uh, Jay mentioned that, right? He's he's drawing some connections between a lot of what we're hearing in in Burson's work, and and really in our industry, this talk of well AI in organizations and AI in HR, which is very vague and ethereal, and that's <laughs> where it is hard for people who aren't geeking out on this quite as much, or even those of us who are to sometimes think, well, what does that mean? What does that yeah. actually mean for us? And that's where part of it is, 
I think one of the biggest steps, and we, we did this today, is breaking down AI. Because to me, one of my frustrations with AI, that is that is as wide as the ocean is deep. Yeah, there we feel it. We, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean anything. And when we start talking about the specifics of, well, this application, I've got an episode coming up later talking about um, NLP, right? Natural mm-hmm. language processing, which yeah. you can start to get into the specifics of that kind of stuff. And, and this has been, honestly, this has been phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm glad to see from the comments that people got value out of this and it's got the wheels turning on that. And uh, I, I just, you know, we're, we're up at the top of the hour, Micah. So like I said, we could definitely keep going. Um, yeah. But this has been, this has been a perfect teaser and I appreciate you being here and, and, you know, we get to hang yeah. out again, but you know, that's always fun. I appreciate it very much. You're right. The hour did go fast. I told you it would. I told (laughs) you it would. So thanks everybody for watching. If you want to continue the discussion, uh, you know, feel free to check out the website. I have a a Slack community going to, to foster this conversation, to foster this dialogue and keep things going. And, you know, Mike is, Mike is here for you. I'm here for you. Thanks for tuning in and uh, have a great, have a great rest of your Friday and a great weekend. Thanks everybody.